So this week, Pam went down in our basement and started looking through storage boxes and found some old pictures, which she then promptly placed on Facebook, <laughs> which then put us immediately into, uh, into a place where the teasing began. And I don't really understand why that should be such a big deal. They're just pictures and why anybody would want to tease us. I'll show you just one of them. See, I don't understand what the big deal is. So, so let, let me read to you a couple of the comments on Facebook that we got. Somebody wrote, this is what Dustin, my son, who, who looks like me, this is what Dustin would look like if he was Amish. And I take that as a compliment. I like Amish. Somebody else wrote, looks like farmer Obadiah landed Cheryl Teagues. <laughs> well, farmer Obadiah did land Cheryl Teagues, and I appreciate it. So, so here's the question I have for us this morning. If Pam and I loved that style so much, and were so comfortable with it, that we decided we were wearing nothing else but that, which was taken over 30 years ago, that picture. And what if we wore those same clothes every day for all those 30 years, and, and I'm warm to work, and I wore them on Sunday morning to talk to you, and, and I wore them to my kids' graduation, and I wore the overalls and, 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 and wore those to my daughter's wedding, the wedding that I performed. Somewhere in that process, somebody eventually is going to say to me, hey, dude, you have issues. Grow up. The question this morning is this. For me, are there issues in my life that I have not grown beyond in all these years? Have I clothed my life with issues that I should have changed by now? We've been looking in these last weeks at this whole concept of the fact that there are issues in our lives that block us in. We've entitled this Breakout, and we've, we've used a theme of, of old video games, and that there are those things that hold us down that you, that you have dealt with, that you say, one of these days, I'll get over this. One of these days, I'll deal with this, and we just seem to be enclosed in that, and somebody needs to say to us, dude, you got issues, grow up. This morning we focus on, thematically, on an, an old video game. And I want you to see if you can remember this. In fact, as I show you this, see if you can tell who this young actor is. Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. Well, Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees, and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry, no other man will do. Pitfall, designed by David Crane for Activision. How many remember the game? How many know who that actor was? Jack Black. Absolutely. Some of you know who he is today. You recognize it's not Dave Perkins. It's Jack Black. 
Pitfall was a game where the player endeavored to get to freedom but had to go through pitfalls around them and through them and, and dangerous situations that wanted to destroy him. Paul the Apostle in the first century dealt with the same issue when he wrote to his friends, both Jewish and Gentile believers who were following Jesus. And he said, I want to deal with your freedom. I want to help set you free. And to get over that, there's some pitfalls, some issues that you've got to get over and you've got to work through. The same thing that we deal with today. I want to talk to you about that freedom. Several years ago, I had a friend who was hooking up with women all the time and he'd hook up with some and take them home and he'd, he'd sleep with them for a while and then he would move on to somebody else that he'd find someplace else either at the athletic club or, or at the bar, the tavern, wherever and, and finally I just went to him and I said hey look, are you a follower of Jesus? and he said yes I am and I said let me, let me show you what Jesus says about what you're doing right here right now I said you can't do this, you can't hook up and he told me he said it's really none of your business These are the decisions that I make. I have the freedom to do this, and you need to butt out. So is he right? When we talk about freedom in Jesus, do we have the right to do what we think that we want to do, and no one else has the right to interfere? What is the stance that we should take when it comes to freedom? And I want to propose to you this morning this, that our freedom is determined by connections, and by truth-telling. In that first century church in Corinth, there is a, a man who is hooking up with his stepmom. And the church believes in freedom, and, and perhaps this guy has the freedom when he's come to know Jesus that there are no laws, and so he can, can kind of do what he wants to do. And so, in fact, Paul the Apostle says to the church, you have become proud of your tolerance. That you just said, well, everybody's free in Jesus to do what they want to do. Is that true? Well, Paul the Apostle responds, and he goes confrontive on them, in fact, into a very intense way. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Now catch this. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and a spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Pretty intense words. I mean, how would you like it if if you were involved in something you shouldn't be and somebody you know who has a really close connection with God walks up to you and said, hey, by the way, I just handed you over to Satan. I think that would scare me. What did Paul mean? Well, first of all, he said this. When you get together... My spirit's going to be there because I have a connection with you. And when you gather, and understand that when they gathered, and especially in this situation, it was customary for them to do what you did this morning, to partake of the cup and the bread. That they were involved in this communion. That this is my body broken for you. This is, this is my blood given for you. And there was such an amazing, such an amazing spiritual connection that he said, tell this guy that he can no longer partake of the communion. In fact, he cannot be with you in your worship expressions anymore. Paul knew that if they did that, that there was such a dynamic presence of the Almighty, a divine manifestation, that if this guy was separated from it, he would vote to kill his lust. 
so that he wouldn't miss what was happening there. That's how dynamic that gathering was. This morning I was talking to Rick Graziano, who plays the keyboards for us. And Rick was telling me Rick's job outside of playing for the church, which he does lovingly voluntarily with his wonderful talent, is that he does floor coverings and he does uh, window treatments and, and, and works very hard at that. And he told me this morning, and he said, I could share this with you, that he'd gone to a house to, to measure with windows and get that set, and the lady that was helping him, showing what to do, said to him in this private home, I understand that you play the keyboards. And she said, I heard you're really good. And she said, I just got a baby grand piano, and I'd love for you to play it. Rick told her that he, all these years now, he really doesn't play anything other than worship Christian music, God music. And, and she said, okay, well, just go play something. I just want to hear that. And so he went to the piano, and he's seated at the piano, and she's sitting on the couch behind him. And he starts to play worship music. And you know how Rick can play worship music. When he got done, he said he turned around and tears were just flying off her face. And she says, I don't even know why I'm crying. Well, we do. There was this dynamic presence of the Almighty. Paul said, tell this one who is living outside of this presence that he can no longer be there so that he misses it so desperately that whatever is keeping him out, he will remove from his life. So if I had been wearing the bib overalls and the really cute haircut for 30 years and I showed up to my, wa- my, my daughter's wedding to perform her wedding ceremony dressed like that, somebody would have said to me, you can't do that. You cannot function in this celebration like that. Therefore, You have got to go change or you can't be here. You know that I love her so deeply and I want to be so involved in that celebration that I would have changed. They said to this man in the first century, you cannot function the way you are in this celebration of the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus and his church, the bride. That celebration, you cannot be actively involved in that until you go change. And Paul said that motivation should move him. In fact, we know by his second letter to the church at Corinth, it did change that mind of the man. This morning, you took the cup, you took the bread. It was more than some symbolic movement. In fact, Paul describes it this way to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says this, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. One body. The word when he said is sharing is the word koinonia. It means to share. It means to partner. It has the depth of the word intercourse. It's that deep of a connection that takes place when you and I take that cup and take that bread. He said that, don't you know that when you take the bread that you're all partaking of one loaf, that you are unionized together, you are partnered together, there is a solidarity of fellowship. This morning when you took that bread, even the people that you have not yet met in this place, you are now in solidarity fellowship with them. 
You may not agree with their politics. You may not be in the same socioeconomic status. You, you may not agree with their choice of football team. You may not even like what they wear. But the truth of the matter is that you are in solidarity fellowship with them. Paul said it's that intense. And the Jews understood this, that if you come into a worship table, such as communion is, the Jews understood that not only do you connect with each other at the table, but you also connect with the Spirit being honored at that table. That when you have come into this place and we have worshipped Jesus and we come together to partake of that bread and the cup of Jesus, we have connected with the Spirit of Jesus. Therefore, they say to this man, you have connected to the Spirit that is not of Jesus and now you come in here to try to connect with the Spirit of Jesus. We cannot allow that. And so they said, you can't be with us. And Paul said, I'm not done. A couple chapters later, he said to them, now, some of you are going out to eat. And in those days, if you go out to eat, you only have two places to go. And it's not Applebee's. You can either go to somebody else's house to eat, or you can go to the pagan temples and eat there. He said, you've been invited by your friends to go to the pagan temples, and they have brought you food. They have brought you bread. They brought you wine. They have brought you meat. He said, but understand that when you did that, that that meat is in a worship setting and that meat has been offered to other gods. Now, Paul says, in the context of all that, he says, we know there are no other gods but God. Everything else is an idol. But there is still a supernatural happening at that moment. And they began to discover what that was. They said, it is demonic. And so when you partake of that meat in the temple, you are participating with demons. You have connected into a demon spirit, and you have bound yourself out of one loaf with demon worshipers. You cannot come, then he said, from that place into a place of Christian gathering where Jesus is the center and say that you are one with those who worship Jesus and one with Jesus when you are one with those who worship demons and you are one with that demon. He said you can't do that. You're not allowed. In fact, here's what he said. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. You cannot covenant with Jesus and covenant with demons. You cannot be bound with those who worship Jesus and those who worship demons or come from the place of demonic activity. It is neither healthy, now follow me here, healthy or loving for you to say to Jack Reisner, you have the freedom to go do whatever you want to do because you have freedom. And we will honor that when I go to the table of demons. You cannot allow that to happen. If I am actively involved during my week, and you know that I'm actively involved in viewing pornography, and you know that I'm doing that, and then you sit with me on a Sunday, and I say, I am one with you, bound with you in this meal, and in honoring Jesus, you know that you can't let me keep doing that. 
You know that if I continually cheat on my exams at Penn State Barron, and you know that I'm doing that, and you sit with me when I partake of this meal, you can't let me keep doing that. Because that's not freedom. If you know that I abuse my wife or my children, you can't let me keep doing that and partake of what we've done this morning. You know that if I hook up with somebody outside of marriage, if I'm hooking up with someone other than my wife, or if I'm not married, but I'm hooking up with someone outside of the covenant of marriage, if I'm involved in any sexual expression, and I'll just be bold about it, even oral sex, which I know is defined as not sex by the media, but please, it's not what God describes. You can't let me sit there and take that bread and that cup and say, hey, it's okay. You have freedom. You say, well, if that's the case, then I think I should just let God deal with you. I appreciate that. But Paul said, when I'm there in spirit, and the spirit of the Lord is there, you as community confront the sin. See, one of our pitfalls, especially in this contemporary church in America, is permitted isolation. That you have freedom, so you go do your thing over there because it's really not my deal. It really is your deal. About 25 years ago, I found myself slowly progressing toward that which I knew God was dead set against. And I was moving toward an absolute sinful thing in my life. One of the prophetesses of the church, a lady who is an intercessor and has this prophetic edge of knowing what God is saying in a community, walked up to me following a church service and she said, hey, what is this I sense about you and what is this thing going on right here? And she nailed it. I said to her, nah, you're wrong. There, there, yeah, there's just, no, but thanks for thinking of it, but you're, you're just way off the mark. She was on the mark and I was wrong. The body began to speak to me and I ignored it. And I've told you in other contexts this story that one night Pam and I, before we were falling asleep in bed, began to recognize a horrible evil presence in the house. The most demonic thing I have ever felt. It made the hair stand on the back of my neck and it scared me to death. I said, Pam, do you feel it? She said, yes, what is it? And we began, we began to pray and ask God to remove the evil presence, went through and anointed each room with oil saying, God, remove this. And as I'm praying, God said this to me. I'm pulling back my protection so that you can see the evil spirit you are dealing with and that if you continue on this path, you will invite that evil spirit to have your full attention. And you will combine with that spirit if you don't stop now. When Paul said, turn his flesh over to Satan, he's not saying, remove yourself and then Satan's going to give him leprosy. What he's saying is this, that when the body says, we've confronted you and now we're going to pull back this presence of God Almighty, it opens us up to an attack of the enemy minus God's covering. Paul the apostle, and you read it, when you read what he wrote to the churches, he would always say this in some form. 
Peace, grace, and mercy be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that which saturates us as we gather together. When the church says and confronts me about my sin and says you can't do this anymore and I ignore it, at that moment I begin to be placed in a position that I don't want to be in because I start to lose God's grace. And God's grace is simply this, the ability to do what I couldn't do before. And I will tell you that when I got confronted and I ignored it, I began to watch my effectiveness in my ministry begin to diminish. I couldn't speak or focus like I had before. I was missing things that I could gain before, and God was removing his grace to accomplish what he told me I could do. Peace. With the removal of peace, there begins to become conflicts that I cannot deal with. Things got intense. When God removes his peace, there are even nightmares that begin to surface in your spirit and your mind because his protection has been removed. Grace and peace and mercy. There are those moments that I just make a mess of things, but I'm really trying hard to follow God, and God will come to me and say, I still got you, let's keep going. And he just, he just pours out his love on me as if I didn't do it, and there's just this wonderful mercy. If he pulls that mercy out, I begin to feel incredible guilt, and my conscience just knows that I do not deserve anything from God, and I have no faith. Paul said, when you pull that stuff away, hopefully that man will recognize it and return. I did. If the pitfall is this permitted isolation, then I want to tell you that the freedom is prophetic intervention. We are responsible to stop that which is obviously sin around us, not in a mean manner, not in an ugly way, but for the sake of the one who is going through it and for the sake of the community because it affects us all. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? It'll go all the way through the community. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Because here's the problem. If I have obvious offenses against God, and Pastor Don knows this. Pastor Don, come up here a moment. Pastor John, come on up here. And, and face these people because they want to see how good-looking you both are. In fact, move to the middle here where we can get better lighting. In fact, just go ahead and finish preaching. I'm going. <laughs> no. So here's the deal. If I have active offenses against God, and he knows about it, and he says, oh, you've got freedom, you don't need to do that, and he doesn't confront it, that which is inside of me will begin to be transferred to his life. It'll begin to lay into him. 
And if he doesn't deal with it, in his connections with Pastor John, what I've been dealing with will not only infiltrate him, but infiltrate his life and over to his family, and there'll be this transference of evil that has not been stopped. But if Pastor Don says to me, you can't do that, whoa, boy, you can't. He stops it and says to that evil force, you go no further here. And when he says that, that force cannot go any further because he has put up a resistance and says, this is not of God. And he says to me, Jack, you can't go any further in this communion and in this worship and in this Lord's Supper. You can't go there and the Spirit has no place to go except stay on me until I deal with it. And it won't touch him and it won't touch John and it won't touch Celeste and it won't touch Chloe and it won't touch the rest of the family because he put an end to it. But if we don't stop it, it infiltrates all of us and begins to attract us all to that spot. Thank you. But this is not, let me tell you, this is not a witch hunt. We don't go around saying, hang on a minute, Lucy, I think maybe you have evil in you. Let's deal with that. I have a friend who was a pastor, and there was a woman in this church that felt like she was God's person with prophetic giftings on recognizing evil in people. And so she walked up to him one day, and it's not that he's perfect, but she said to him, I sense that you have the spirit of lust all over you. He said he felt like saying, oh, you wish. (laughs) We don't do that. What we're talking about here is a relational compassion that because we are one together and we relate together and we walk together, we know what's going on in each other's lives and and there, there cannot be this isolation. My daughter Christy used to live in Washington, D.C., and I went down to meet her one day to see the place that she was living. I hadn't been there yet. Have you ever been through D.C.? You know how horrible that traffic can be, and so she met me right around the Beltway and was going to take me into Arlington. So I got behind her, and we're whipping through traffic and cutting off one highway under the next one, and I'm following her Passat. She's driving a Passat, and I'm just staying on her bumper. I'm watching her because i got to get where she's going, and all this traffic's cutting in and out and in between, but I'm staying right on her. I'm, I'm following. So I'm feeling pretty comfortable about this, but I notice we're getting closer and closer to the Potomac and maybe going over into D.C. itself, and I'm thinking, that, that's just too far. Where is she taking me? My phone, cell phone rings. I pick it up, and it's Christy, and she says, Dad, where are you? I said, I'm right behind you, right on your bumper, baby. I'm right there. She said, no, you're not. I'm off the highway. I'm following some lady in a Passat. I don't know where we're going, but I hope it's nice. I said, you've got to get me back off. I don't know where I am. Where are you, Dad? I don't know. She said, well, find another Passat and head the other way. Go. If you follow the wrong person, you will never get home. So I need you to walk with me, and when I'm in that spot, say, and Paul says this, follow me as I follow Christ, and we'll walk to that place together. So you say, okay, great, just give me a a list of directions and, and rules, and I'll deal with that. There are plenty of people who would like to give you their rules, but that's the problem. When you follow Jesus, there are not a whole lot of rules. In fact, Paul the Apostle blows their mind because he just told them about the demon dinners and you can't do that. 
Now they've said to him, yeah, but you, when you go home, walk through the marketplace and you buy meat and take it home and eat it. And what's the problem with that? Because some of that meat had been butchered by priests in the temple, in the pagan temples. And they said, you can't do that. He said, oh, I really can't. They said, but no, you, you can't. In fact, what Paul is about to say is so scandalous to them, it just freaks them out. If our freedom is determined by connection and truth-telling, then I want to tell you that our freedom is exercised by permission and love. You go to Israel today. In fact, some, some of us that went to Israel together are having a lunch together today to remember our trip to Israel. And one of the things we recognized were those devout Jews, those men, wore an, a, a garment under their coat that had threads hanging down, exactly 613 threads representing the 613 laws they were to follow. And Jesus says, don't worry about the 613. Let's start with this. Love God with your whole heart and your neighbors yourself. And then he explained the law and how you apply it to every situation. And he said, now, take just what I've told you, the principles that I've given you. You can't, you can't murder and you can't hate and you've got to love those who persecute you and give as, it, as you want it to be given to you, press down, shake. Take all that stuff that I told you on, on the Sermon on the Mount, take all that stuff and apply it to every part of your life. That's just it. But what about the rules? No, that's just it. Just apply it to your living. And some of us say, well, no, no, if you do that, there'll be anarchy. Everybody will do what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. It's freedom. And some of us have a real, real tough time saying no long list of no, 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 no. Uh -uh. And we have trouble working through that. We're, we're not much different than this dog. Take a look. The dog doesn't know is that there is no glass or screen. Let's see if she'll go out. Go tight. says, come on out, come on out. We go, no, we can't go out. There's all these rules. And especially if we go out, there is such a conflict of everybody's opinions as to what I should eat, what I should drink, what I should be entertained with, what I should wear, what are my holy days, and how should I worship? And they said, what, how do we do that? How do we, how do we just make sure that what we're doing is good? Paul said, okay, you're having trouble with this, so let me help you out. Let me give you some principles. First is this. Saved is the guiding principle. The question is, how does my freedom encourage those who are on a transformational journey toward their end? How do I get them there? So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 
10. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Here's what he said. Everything is permissible. Jesus said, if I didn't already cover it with you on how to apply the law in your life, it's open game. Do what you want to do. Everything's permissible. No kidding. Yeah, just go. Enjoy and serve. Just go. Enjoy. It's freedom. Go. I don't want to go out the door. Just go. Jesus walks outside the door and says, come on through. And we say, no, you, we're resistant. He says, now go do that. But he says, here's the deal. Is it beneficial? Not for you. Because that's not the context. Is it beneficial? And is it edifying, building up? For who? For the people around you toward the ultimate goal, which he then describes. 1 Corinthians 10. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. So what? So let's read that last line. So that they may be saved. My right in freedom is to serve others so they find Jesus. It's that simple. Is what I'm living lead to Jesus? If what I'm reading lead to Jesus, is what I'm watching in my entertainment leading to Jesus? Are the words that I'm speaking leading to Jesus? If what I wear lead to Jesus? Is my schedule leading to Jesus? Do what I say to other people lead to Jesus? It all is, does it lead to Jesus? He said, you're free, but let that all lead to Jesus. Simple enough. No list of rules, just one target. Secondly, he says this, don't care where God doesn't. So the big concern was the butchering of meat and whether or not an idol priest cut the meat. And then what do we do with that? And so Paul says, I'll give you an idea what I do. When you go through there and you have a concern whether or not the meat was offered to idols, here's what you do. Don't ask. Just take the meat and go. Serious? Yeah, just go. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 10, 25. With that as a base to work from, common sense can take you the rest of the way. Eat anything sold at the butcher shop, for instance, you don't have to run an idolatry test on every item. The earth, after all, is God's and everything in it, and that everything certainly includes a leg of lamb in the butcher shop. Paul quotes Psalm 24.1. He said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, so give him thanks for that. He said, that leg of lamb was there before God, God gave it, before that priest that idol priest ever got a hold of it, and you're not there in this worship expression of, of demon dinners, so you go back to where God had it and say, God, thank you that you provided this, and I'm going to enjoy this. Now catch what he's saying, and don't let anybody else's opinion mess you up. The people around you can't judge you in this manner. Later in the book of Romans, Paul addresses this, and he says, be sure you're doing it by faith, that you say, okay, it's, 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 it's okay with God and me. And then don't publicize it and, and make other people feel bad who are still wrestling with the issue. Just do it yourself and let them wrestle, but don't make an issue out of it. In fact, said thirdly, he said, I want you to do this. Do whatever gives God glory. Because everything that Jesus did always pointed to God. So everything I do must be, Jesus, are you okay with this? Does this point to you? And people go, oh, he is so great. So he says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So here's the question. If you're hanging out at the bar, you've got the freedom to do that. Why? What are you there for? Now, if you're drunk, we already know he said don't be drunk with wine, so if you're doing that, I probably need to talk to you about it. Or the body needs to address that because that's just directly, you can't do that. You can't get drunk with wine. So it wasn't wine. Well, you know what we're saying. <laughs> but so you, you're sitting at the bar, you need to say, Jesus, you good with this? You, you see the TV okay? Browns are playing pretty good. You just got to say, Jesus, are you good with this and, and are we okay? Because if Jesus isn't good with this, then you can't be good with it either. Why are you doing what you're doing? If you're out dancing, and some of you were raised, we're going, oh, you can't dance. Oh, but you got freedom, you can dance. But my question is, who are you dancing with, and is Jesus good with that? And how are you dancing? Are you bumping and grinding? I don't think Jesus is going to be good. If Jesus blushes, you probably should get out of there. So, so if you're going to dance, then dance. But Jesus got to be good with the dancing. If you're being intimate with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you might as well have Jesus sitting right next to you in the car or on the bed or wherever you are because you've you got to be able to say, Jesus, you okay with this? Because I know that, that if you're married and, and you're having intimacy with your wife, and you don't have to ask Jesus. He's, he's got to hey, I invented this. This is good. Go, baby, go. <laughs> Jesus is great with that. But if you're not married and, and you're touching where you're not supposed to be touching and you're, and you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, you look at Jesus and say, you good with this? He's going to probably say, I'm not good with this. And then you better bail because it's not the right thing. Because Paul says this, if it's not by faith, it's sin. No fooling. Finally, and, and, and I really enjoy saying this, to be honest with you. I've just got to be honest. Ignore cranky Christians. And serve honest seekers. We have this tendency to believe that what I can't do because God said I can't do it, then you can't do it. Because if I can't do it, you can't do it. And if I have to give it up, then you have to give it up. He never said that. You may have a problem with it, and God says you can't do that. But he may say to, to Lucy, Lucy, go do that thing. I can't go to her and go, well, you sinner, you can't do that. I can't do that. Who said I'm just a cranky Christian. I have a friend in this church who, before she came to Jesus, danced a lot, and, and not in a good way. And when she came to Jesus, Jesus and her agreed she'd never dance again because it's just not the right thing for her. And I've been in, I've been in weddings. Our family's been with their family, and I said, are you going to dance? She said, no. Jesus and me, we got an agreement, and I'm cool with that. There's somebody else in this church who came to Jesus, and her question was, can I dance? Can you give me expressions of dance? I need to dance. My dance, I've got to dance because I came to Jesus, I've got to dance because that's her worship expression. Now, who's right? I feel strongly both ways. It's, 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 it's both are right. And Paul says, determine it this way. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. So he pretty well covers everybody there even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they what? 
<laughs> We're back to that, that they may be saved. Paul is not dealing here with somebody whose feelings got hurt or because somebody's been cemented in their religious expression for 40 years and what you're doing is not in their religious expression. He said they're cranky, ignore them. And I give you permission to ignore them. But, he said, don't behave in such a way as to prevent somebody else from seeing that Jesus is Lord and being able to live it out. Don't do that. See where it takes us? It takes us back to what we were talking about in our communion time. It takes us back to the cross. And my question as we end this time together is where do you stand? You see, you come to the cross and look at Jesus on the cross and you know that on that cross he died and took on his life your sins. So you can't come to him and say, here, you can have my sin except for these over here because I still want to do those. We as a community must then step up and say, but you can't and stand by the cross. You can't. Well, we'll give you time to work through issues. We all have to work through issues. But deliberate, deliberate resistance saying, no, I'm going to hang on to this. You can't do that. So we've got to stand at the cross and say, it all goes. In addition to that, then I have all this freedom from the cross. Yay! Woo! Free! Yeah, you are, but come back to the cross and see him who was free, who said my freedom entails me making sure that you find Jesus. So my freedom says this, I've come to stand at this cross to be a servant, to serve all others in my freedom, and that is real freedom. So my question is this, when it comes to the cross, where do you stand? living in the days of the human superstar let me explain every day from the moment i wake up till the minute my head hits the pillow i'm bombarded with ideas and images of those who are supposed to have made it the successful ones who've got it all the ones we want to be like you might say i'm being tight but if you dig deeper it's obvious things aren't always what they seem you see there's only one true superstar worth trying to be like no glitz and glamour though just one god who left heaven to walk this real life he got his hands dirty struggled with the same stuff you and i do difference is he didn't cave in it was perfect lived his life full no prizes for guessing who i'm talking about though most of the time you probably see him wearing a white nighty hanging in some stained glass window jesus christ you might just know it as a swear word but i promise you there's more to it than that just check the next verse the good book says he was both god and man rolled into one he was the man's man hard as nails yet the most sensitive and loving person ever to walk these trails he spoke up for those who didn't have a voice but more than that he always had time for people didn't turn anyone away seeing all as equal he cried he even washed his mate's feet don't know if i could do that age 33 his time came to an end as they nailed him to that tree but what's the point of that you're thinking to be continued verse 3 truth is we've all messed up and done stuff wrong which means we can't go looking the creator of the universe in the face for very long so there's us mankind standing before god things not looking great he looks at us his heart melts i love them he says more than life itself i don't want to punish them because they fall so in steps jesus as yours and my substitute takes the rap once and for all how did it go down that night they nailed his hands and feet and stuck a spear in his side they put a crown made of thorns on his head then he died slowly on that cross and bled you thought you were worth dying for but that's not the end three days later he made a spectacle of death 
He got up, folded his grave clothes and left them in a pile on that empty bed. New life, fresh breath, all that for me and you. God's done his part, now it's your response. What do you do? Where do you stand? There is a God who loves you the way you are and desperately wants you to take his hand. But it's your choice. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? We must stand in that spot that says... All that offends you, I release. And all that I do serves others so that they too can be saved. And if we do that, then Paul's words are for us at the end of this passage. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And that is freedom. Would you stand, please? And so, and so, and so, and so.